Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part one in the series, The Armour of God. This is the evening session of Wednesday, the 22nd of July, 2009, and the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Here's Pastor Russ Iveson. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and... To be honest with you, I wish I had about two and a half years because where we're picking up uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, all of the points that lay the foundation for this, Paul has already given as we would have been able to have come through the epistle to the Ephesians. But let me read uh, with you Ephesians chapter 6, picking up in verse 10. Paul says, finally, my brethren. And uh, you can tell here that Paul was a Baptist because he says finally and goes on for another 15 verses. Uh, He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And uh, a couple of things, I guess, by way of introduction. In the last, oh, however many years since I've been saved, I've always heard <clears throat> preachers stand up and say that uh, that uh, the chapter divisions uh, in our English Bible uh, are not inspired. I most emphatically beg to differ because when Erasmus put the chapter and verse divisions in, he wasn't reading from the King James text. He was reading from the received text Greek, and the chapter divisions are where the grammar demands the chapter divisions to be. And uh, and uh, so uh, when Paul starts out here in verse 10, finally, my brethren, he's picking up on a, on a summarization point at which he's going to embellish, but it's the end of an outline that began way back when in the start of the epistle. And uh, he... And, uh, he, he So we have his final admonition, but I I need to back up a wee bit, and uh, and uh, uh, because 
Paul has spoken about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5 and verse 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And, uh, and, uh, but in conjunction with that, he was talking about understanding the will of God and he was talking about, about walking circumspectly. Uh, beginning in uh, verse 15, he says here, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And uh, if you are any kind of a student of the Scriptures, in the day and age we are living right now, you ought to be jumping up and down for joy. Because the, the upper taker may blow the trumpet before Hannah and I get back to Bedworth tonight. It is that close. We are seeing things come to pass in our day and time, in our world, that the prophets only dreamed about. But we find that Paul then deals with, in uh, chapter 5 and verse 21, mutual submission as he enters into what is probably my most favorite section in the entire Word of God where that he goes down and he takes a, 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 a marriage and likens it to his relationship with the glory assembly which finds its expression in our dispensation in each particular assembly that honestly is his such as Bethel, or as Calvary was, or, or as Allsley is. And, but he says here in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And uh, I, we find that in the various relationships of life, the relationship between a husband and a wife, the relationship between parents and children, the relationship between servants and master, a child of God ought not to be marked by one who uh, lords it over, but we have consideration one for another. Then he comes to the final admonition in 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And the, the text, the Greek text here opens, toiloipon adelphoi mo. Toilophon here is the accusative singular neuter article and uh, an adjective for the rest. Or, uh, uh, and, he, and he, he turns to what remains for them to do. And, uh, you recall that, uh, uh, if you think back that in the first part of the epistle, the first couple of chapters was just pure doctrine. Then the rest of the epistle is the application of that doctrine set down. And uh, uh, the application of the doctrine, how it is to be manifest in the assembly, how it is to be manifest in the lives of those who comprise this Ephesian assembly. But yet, I want to back up to chapter 4 and verse 1. Because Paul there, he says, uh, uh, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. He pleads and he commands. 
Walk worthy is a command. We are commanded to walk worthy because our walk is the evidence of our new birth. Uh, those that, that get all warped out of shape over Calvin's doctrine that he plagiarized from Augustine lose sight of one thing. Predestination deals in the Scripture with how we are to walk because we are saved. In Ephesians 2.8, he says, For by grace you say through faith and not, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye being in a time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope in the world, uh, no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. But then we see in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And that command to be followers is mimitai, imitators. We're to imitate God. It's the same imitators, mimitai, that Paul used when he was wrestling with that carnal congregation in Corinth. Back in chapter 11, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Be ye imitators of me. But then Paul qualifies it. You imitate me as I follow Christ. We're commanded to imitate God. And we have Paul and we have Christ, whose examples the Scriptures set before us, visible examples of how we are to walk, how we are to conduct our warfare, how we are to be strong. The believer is in a warfare. And if everything comes to pass that it looks like it's fixing to come to pass, we're going to be in a warfare the likes of which we've not experienced since the last time we were the main course for the lions. We are in a warfare. And the adversary attacks. He attacks in the home. He attacks on the job. And Paul deals with the, with the final point and the weapons uh, that, to, to do the job. And notice what Paul uh, wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, picking up in verse 3, Paul says, For though we, am I, yes I am, for though we walk in the, in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In our text, to Loipon, Dr. Salmon uh, notes that it is a form that is used frequently in the in the Attican or the classic Greek. Uh, as for the rest, uh, uh, as well as or finally, and it, it it carries the the temporal sense of henceforth, and consequently it, it it points to the fact that he's drawing a conclusion. Wigram lists. Uh, 14 instances in the New Testament where that the our neuter adjective is used as an adverb. We would see it five times as finally, two times as henceforth, once as furthermore, once as besides, or once as moreover. But then Paul draws this congregation to himself in a, in a real expression of, of affection and, and an admonition because he loves them. And uh, because we're part of a real family. And that is something we lose sight of. Because in chapter 2, Paul sets forth the fact that at the moment of regeneration, we become part of a new race. The race of Christian. No longer any more Jew. No longer any more Gentile. But we join the race of Christian. And he says, my brethren, Adelphi Mo. Adelphi is the vocative plural masculine noun, brethren. The vocative tells us he's addressing us but what, by, by what we in fact are. Brethren by new birth. Interestingly, <laughs> Westgate and Hort tamper with the text here. And... Uh, 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 they they changed the toloipon uh, uh, to 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 the to the genitive and they omit Adelphoi mo, but Paul says, wherefore my brethren, wherefore my brethren, mo being the genitive first person uh, uh, pronoun, uh, he tells the Ephesians we are. Related by new birth. As a brother in Christ, Paul now exhorts, and he exhorts because we are in a warfare. Exhorting a brother is a responsibility of brethren. It's a responsibility of brethren in each congregation uh, that are truly Christ's. Uh, I don't know if it ever made it over here or not, but a number of years back, on the other side of the pond, uh, they began a, a movement called Promise Keepers because men just needed to be accountable. Well, imitation Christianity had to have a substitute because they got away a long time ago from God's plan. The ultimate accountability group began when Christ passed by, coming back out of the wilderness, and the Baptist said to John and to Andrew, Behold the Lamb of God. And he called John and Andrew to follow me. Bible Baptist Jerusalem was born then. That's when the first congregation was established. And Christ began his accountability group. And we're to exhort one another. 
Paul teaches us in Hebrews chapter 10, 23. Hebrews 10, 23, he picks up and he says there, uh, if I'm in the right chapter, he says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be found faithful to God's plan as revealed in God's word and uh, exhort one another, encourage one another. He says it in another place in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. And, 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 but all of the, 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 the tools for exhorting and edifying and building up and, and, and lifting up a brother who's stumbled, he's committed to the house of God. And he exhorts because we are brethren. Exhorts because our Lord wants to impart his provision for the family. But there's something else as well. We're to exhort one another because if we honestly are saved, when we go one-on-one from one brother to another brother, there's a third party there, the indwelling Spirit of God, who's able to apply the proper biblical exhortation and bring about the desired fruit. But then he goes on, and, he, and he's in the wrong chapter. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. And dunamoste and curio. And dunamoste is a two-person plural, present passive imperative. Uh, the stem verb dunamo here is to enable, to strengthen. It comes from dunamis, which is hey, Christ's miraculous power. The congregation at Ephesus and Paul's subsequent readers are commanded to a continuous action, a, to, to an action that they are to continuously receive. And we read it to be empowered, to be strengthened, to be enabled. And be in the preposition of place, and then kurio is the dative singular masculine noun, it's the indirect object, and it points then to the source. Where does it come from? It's in the Lord. In our relationship with Him. He who is supreme in authority. He who is our master. He who is our owner. He who is our sovereign. Christ is our source of this power. And Paul says in the context of, 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 of obedience to, 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 uh, to giving to missions, for example, in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Our power, our ability, our strength uh, comes only in Christ and through his word. But in our text he continues, he says here, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Kai be in the cumulative conjunction and, and there's the preposition in. Tokrati is a dative singular neuter article and noun. It's the indirect object that further defines how we are to be empowered. It's the vigor, the might, the power the strength, 
And we're talking here about the presence and the significance of force and strength rather than its exercise. During, I don't know, this may not be popular, but during Vietnam, uh, there was one thing in the in a significant stretch of that war that the enemy feared more than anything else. And uh, I had a Marine friend who told me one time that uh, he was on a patrol and uh, they were surrounded. I mean, there were, there were North Vietnamese regulars and there were Viet Cong just all around them and just shooting the daylights out of them. And they, they called in for gunfire support. And the battleship New Jersey appeared off the coast fired one round from her main battery just to make sure of the ranging. Spot on. Fired the entire main battery. And there was a humongous, massive crater, 250 feet deep and several hundred yards across where the enemy used to be. They weren't there anymore. The one thing that, the, that Charlie feared more than anything else was when the shadow of the New Jersey came down the coast. And brought her guns to bear. All she had to do was show up most times. Didn't have to fire, and the enemy disappeared. That's the kind of inherent strength. She just showed up. Krati is used 12 times in the New Testament. Uh, Paul says over in Colossians, for example, Colossians chapter 1 and uh, verse 11. Uh, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. And there, Krati is power when he says glorious power. And, uh, but just how powerful is this power that Christ has? Uh, Paul says over in Hebrews chapter 2 and uh, verse 14, uh, he says, Therefore, as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, am I in the right chapter again? I hope so. Uh, let me see here. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And there, Krati, is power, the power of death. Christ destroyed the power of Satan, and he wrested Satan's power from him, which is why that the power of Christ is praised. We see uh, Kratos used, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and uh, verse 11. 1 Peter 4, 11, he said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And there it is the word dominion, authority. Power, or 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 11. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We see it there as dominion in Jude chapter, Jude verse 25. Uh, we see it there. And uh, uh, Jude records to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. And uh, again, we see it there as dominion. But we see it also 
in Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, and hath made us to be kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We see it there as dominion. We see it one more time in chapter 5 and verse 13 of the Revelation. And every creature which is in heaven and all the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And in verse 13 it is the word power. Dominion. Dominion uh, over creation was given to Adam at creation. But when Adam fell, that dominion was forfeit to Satan. Christ at his resurrection took that dominion back, which is why that we have the rejoicing in Revelation chapter 5. And I saw at the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereupon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and the twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times, ten thousand and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and glory and honor and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and forever. That seven-sealed book is the title deed to all of creation which the resurrected Christ rescued from the clutches of the adversary as he defeated his power. But Paul says here in our text, in the power of his might, our English word dominion is defined as the power to rule It's defined as sovereign authority. 
It's defined as sovereignty. And our Lord took it back. But we're told that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Tesiscus atu. Tesiscus is the genitive singular feminine article and noun. Atu is the genitive singular uh, masculine third person reflexive pronoun. The, uh, we have here iskus is the ability, the might, the power, the strength, uh, and uh, uh, it is the uh, as, as a as a as an endowment, and uh, it is the actual inherent power, and it tells us something very important. This power is inherent in Christ because of who He is. He is God, and uh, and uh, but it is part of our living heritage from him now by virtue of new birth. All our resources to meet our needs are available in Christ now. Our noun iskus is used 11 times in the New Testament. We find Peter using the word in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 11. And there it is ability. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And there it's ability. The gifts of the ministry and the power to put them to use derive from Christ. Paul used it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There it's the word power. And our Lord's glorious appearing. He puts down all rule and all authority when he comes uh, uh, in awesome power. And we see this in Revelation chapter 19 and uh, picking up there in verse 11. Revelation 19, 11, uh, the, the scriptures record, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. I find that fascinating. When he comes, he has a name written that no man knew. Why? Because the men that remain, when he comes, these are the ones who rejected the word of God prior to the catching away of us. And therefore, they did not know him. They rejected. They actively chose not to receive the love of the truth, as Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed with fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. 
he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They knew him not because they actively rejected the love of the truth. But consider as well in our text, we spoke of the miraculous power of the Lord. We're commanded to possess it. We're commanded to receive it. We spoke of, of uh, Krati, the presence of might and power. We spoke of Iskus, the inherent power and might. All three are seen in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us or to believe according to the working of his mighty power? And we were to know experientially the immeasurable greatness of the miraculous power through the working of his might and his power. This is Paul's prayer. Verse 17, he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the experiential knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe according to the working of his mighty power. He wants us to be in such a vital living relationship with him that this power that is inherent in Christ is inherent in us who are indwelled by the indwelling spirit of promise. We know it by his working in and through us. We know it by his indwelling us. We possess that power by virtue of new birth. We are empowered as we continuously yield ourselves to him who indwells and by submission to him. We are enabled to draw on that strength and that power when we need it. He goes on in 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. And do saste tan pano pleon And do saste is a is that the two-person plural aorist middle of imperative. It is a command to this congregation at Ephesus. It is a command to Paul's readers, a command to a simple action we take concerning ourselves. And is the preposition in, and danu is to sink or to go down. And to saste is a command to sink into a garment or to invest with clothing. It's a one-time command each of us is to take concerning ourselves. In other words, we put it on, but we never take it off again. We're to live in that garment. Tan panoplion. It's the accusative singular feminine article and noun. Panoplion comes from, it's a, it's a compound word. Pas is all, and oplon is armor or weapon. Panoplion, we anglicize to panoply. It means a complete suit of armor. Full armor, whole armor. Tauthiu is the genitive singular masculine article and noun. The armor is God's, and he's entrusted it to each of us to utilize. Our verb endus saste. 
is not only a command. Paul, by the way he's put it in the text, has made it even an emphatic command. It carries the force of one who's standing alongside, jumping up and down, jumping up and down, saying, Put it on! Put it on! Put it on! He wants us to put it on. But we have then a picture of the hoplite. Initially, the hoplite was one of Alexander's guys, and the Romans picked up on it. And uh, uh, he became the Roman foot soldier, a man who was very heavily armored. He was a legionary uh, who, who formed the main front battle line. And uh, he stood and he held the line, just as we are expected to do. Isaiah compare, uh, com- uh, c- 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 conveys uh, prophetically a picture in Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, picking up in verse 16. Isaiah 59, 16, he says, in uh, and uh, uh, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that, that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness had sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he shall repay recompense. So shall they uh, fear the name of the Lord from the west and from his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood and the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. As Paul has said, Christ is our example. Paul now gives a purpose clause. He says, Pros tunas di umas, stinai pros tas, methodias tau diabolo. Pros is the preposition to, uh, toward, or forward. To dunaste is, uh, to is the accusative singular neuter article. Dunaste is the present middle passive deponent infinitive. It is to be able, to be possible, to be of power. The present infinitive speaks of a a continuous action that is not bound by the constraints of time. It is a continuous action at any time. The subject uh, not only takes concerning himself, but he receives from the Lord. The panoply, the complete armor of God, gives us the power, gives us the ability who must be in the accusative, plural, two-person, personal pronoun, the direct object unto you. Stinai is a secondarist active infinitive. One-time linear action. Again, there's no time constraint. It is an, an abiding action uh, commencing at any time. 
It is available to each new believer at the moment of regeneration. It is the verb to stand, to abide, to continue. Stenai is a military term. As we said, the, the hoplite was to stand. The legions were expected to take a position and they were to defend it and they were to never, ever yield. They would never yield the ground. They were to die rather than yield. The armor gave them the ability. The armor gave them the power. The armor gave them the enablement to stand. Pros, again, as to, unto or towards Tasmathodios, the accused of plural feminine article and noun. Meta is the preposition of accompaniment. Odeu is to travel or to journey. Methodios then is the trickeries, the wiles, the, uh, the, uh, the travesties, the methods, the, the lying in wait. Taudabolo, the genitive singular masculine article and adjective. The trickeries, the lying in wait of the traducer, of Satan, the false accuser, the devil, the slanderer. We have the ability, we have the enabling to stand against all that accompanies Satan. Let the word of God be true. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God has given the armor. God has provided the panoply. We are commanded emphatically to sink down into it and never take it off and stand. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be a steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And a little bit further down, Paul will say, when you've done all, stand. Father, thank you for the great gift that you have given to the child of God all of the miraculous power, all of the present power, all of the inherent power that resides in thee, and you've entrusted it to each of us that names the name of Christ in spirit and in truth. Father, might we utilize it. Father, might we sink down into it. And never take it off. Father, in the day and age in which we live, find us faithful to stand until the trump of the upper taker sounds. Might we not yield the ground entrusted to us? In Christ's name we pray and do thank thee. Amen. Mm-hmm.